0: Good afternoon, folks, and thanks for joining us. My name is Tim Wheaton with Catkick Swords, joined by the one and only Karate Combat League president, Adam Kovach. How are you doing today, sir?
1: Good, good, good. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, man, I'm pumped that you're here. Let me ask you, how do you deal with people saying your name incorrectly all the time?
1: I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, uh, uh, even sometimes I I mess it up as well. You know, some like in Hungarian, you say Kovac. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, when I try to say my name in English, I do say Kovacs. So don't worry about it, you know, and I don't care if anybody fucks it up. I don't take it personally.
0: <laughs> perfect, perfect. Good stuff. So take me back to the very beginning. How did you get involved? How did you first uh, get exposed to karate? Well, who were the, some of the fighters that you looked up to just when you were a young man getting started out?
1: Oh, man, that was, that was a while ago. So I started karate when I was nine. Uh, I'm 42 now so it's been a while uh, but actually that's a funny story I my father had a colleague a friend who said that there there's a karate club over here and you should bring your son and I went there I was like 5 as I said and you know I uh after 5 minutes I ran out like crying because people <laughs> were like shouting and kicking and punching each other and I said like this is this is not for me and then, uh, then a few years later, um, I had a bad experience. I already kind of uh, went to school by myself on public transportation. I had a bad experience, mm-hmm. and also had some influence uh, with the Bruce Lee movies back then. And uh, and then I said, "All right, I want to be able to to defend myself if uh, the situation comes." And then I asked my parents that I wanna I want to go back. And funny enough, you know, we we, we went to a a club, uh, a gym, and they were playing ball. You know, they were like uh, playing some games, the kids. So I said like, <laughs> okay, this is for me, karate is for me because you can play with a ball. <laughs> and then, you know, after like 10 minutes, uh, we started the training and then, you know, I, I nev- never really stopped. Uh, I finished competing when I was 32 and I started in the national team when I was 16. So 16 years in a national team I I competed at all the European championships and all the world championships uh I never I never missed one.
0: Man that is absolutely awesome. I can't believe you went back after running out and crying like you just I I think that's a great attitude to have learned though like something pushed you back and you went yeah. back and you conquered it.
1: Yeah and I mean I mean I I think I was like scrolling through Instagram today and mm. and uh, some like guru was saying that that you know like we change so much that you know, like something what's normal to us today might be completely abnormal the other day, or something we feel weird about, uh, this year, then we're totally fine with it. And I think it was similar, like this. It's, it's, uh, and it's also, I would say, it matters where you go, you know, like if you are surrounded with likewise people, or people like similar to you, or you know, like they they invite you in and welcome you in, then you feel good, you feel appreciated. And I think that's what happened. You know, the first place maybe maybe was a Dojo or something along those <laughs> lines. And, you know, I could feel it from uh, the beginning at the second place. You know, that was something where they hooked me and, you know, I, I got I got in love with karate for sure. You know, you asked me who I looked up to. Yeah. Um, there was uh, many... Many competitors I, I looked up to uh, specifically, and I had a chance to fight with him. It was Alexander Biamonti from from mm. France. He was a multiple time, I think eleven time European champion, two times world champion, and then came the Agaev era. Agaev, who fights with us uh, these days, I was going to say, al- yeah. <laughs> I also I also fought with him. Uh, I lost to him uh, back uh, back in the days. So, you know, I had some good days. I won the World Games. I won uh, three medals at the World Championships. Uh, But, you know, there were some guys who are just different level.
0: Man, and there's so much great karate out there. I'm surprised that someone like you... That transitioning over into K one during that same kind of time, because there were some very good Kyokushin Karate fighters like a Francisco Filio, Semi Sheld, yeah. uh, Andy Hug, like converted to directly into K one kickboxing. Uh, why why did you not look at that kind of career as the next natural step for you?
1: I think I was I was actually I was competing at the World Games in in Duisburg back in two thousand and five, and this was the these were the days you know the 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 big days for K one, you mm-hmm. know like Ignashov all these Dutch guys, uh I was like stuck at Eurosport back in Budapest where I, I grew up. Mm-hmm. And I that that had a big, big influence on me. And still, you know, like with things we build with Karate Combat, I think that influence uh is still is still there. And they asked me if I wanted to do K1 and I was I was thinking about it for sure. Uh but at the same time that was a transition time for me of becoming good at what I did with, uh, with amateur karate at the World Karate Federation. And mm-hmm. I think then K1 started to, you know, like uh, not be the same anymore. And, uh, and then the UFC and MMA came. And then for me, it was just uh, I didn't want to transition after the age of 30. Maybe I was comfortable enough. I did transition in a way because I started doing BJJ when, when I uh, was cooling down from karate yeah. uh, 12 years ago. But that was always not not to compete in MMA, not to compete even in BJJ. Although I had a few tournaments, but just to be a martial artist, you know, do, to experience something which is completely different than the striking game. Uh, I always loved grappling, so that that is something. I actually just finished uh, BJJ an hour ago. Um, nice. So that that's that is something I enjoy a lot.
0: Man, that's absolutely awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah that early K one era just for like there was like five amazing years where nothing was better than k1 on earth that was awesome it
1: was was amazing and then k1 max came on and you know those guys you know under 70 uh, kg you know like uh, masato and uh, genki sudo and all these big names you know like i i was literally you know those were the also the early days for the internet right so that's it it wasn't like youtube was big and you could watch everything online so like you really had to do your research and I think it was it was uh, Norifumi Yamamoto who passed away yeah. a few years ago. Uh, may he rest in peace, who had a big influence on me, you know, not only because of his fighting style, but also his, his fashion, the love for fashion. And, you know, like, uh, I think he lived in the US for, for a couple of years. So, like, that had an influence on him. And yeah. he loved all those cars. And, and he was a superstar, although, like, he was a very small guy but uh but you know back in the days in japan things were just just different
0: man i think one thing that came across really well with uh kid yamamoto was like you were saying this was an era where you couldn't really stream anything you could barely download it you had to like know a guy on sure dog and he would send you a clip but kid yamamoto's clips could come across so well because it's like a four second knockout where he ran across the ring. you know you could see it instantly you know what i mean
1: yep absolutely and uh and you know, the when you looked at a K one tournament and the full arena of I don't know, twenty thousand people, maybe thirty thousand people in Japan, in Tokyo, and people are cheering, you know, that was that was something else. And I you know, like even these days Dream and 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 Rising and yep. these guys are trying to do something similar, but it's it's just not the same. So,
0: okay, man, you've hit on something that I talk about all the time, is that Pride and K1 existed for a shorter amount of period than Ryzen and Dream combined have. And they the influence that Pride and K1, we still talk about it today. We don't yeah. talk about Ryzen and Dream, maybe enough. I mean, they had great moments, but it's just crazy how much magic or there was some driving force behind K1 and Pride. That era, that boom of Japan was incredible.
1: Yeah, but you know what I think maybe i'm wrong but but if mm. you look at uh, these organizations today then they mostly um have japanese fighters so it's more almost like a local show and you know sometimes they put in guys from here or there from mm. you know georgia or, or some other countries but back in the days you would have a tournament where you would have one japanese so like it, it was almost like these superstars coming in from the USA from from Holland from France, yeah. Jerome Le Bra- Lebanner yeah. and you know like uh, um, these big names who became superstars. You know they couldn't walk on the streets, and I think that was a big difference. It, it could really feel like a world championships. Now these days, it feels like a Japanese championship where you just have a few names uh, inserted into the tournament.
0: Yeah, kickboxing. is not bit. even
1: tournament style anymore, by the way. Mm-hmm
0: no it's not i think they're trying to they're doing their rebirth and revival right now because things are yeah. kind of cooking in japan right now but they yeah, kickboxing is very segmented isn't it like glory does europe and then you got like k1 uh doing things one picks up here and there but it's a little bit segmented but you know one of the weird things and this story just came out with the k1 rebirth is that if you you had to be a fighter going through one of their like approved gyms and if you yeah. are a fighter who was in a kyokushin karate gym you actually weren't allowed to compete in k1 until this year so okay. for like 10 years, they turned their back on Kyokushin and Karate for some reason. Like, so now that actually leads back to my question in an hour interview. Is Japan, there seems to be some opportunity where there was Kyokushin and Karate fighters just kind of left out. They weren't allowed to compete. Is Japan a target for you guys?
1: I mean, how, how could it not be? Because, you know, like we're, we're, I would say right now we're more of a striking league. Of a combination, mostly karate, but now we're integrating, you know, awesome kickboxers, Raymond Daniels, Gabriel Varga, uh, mm-hmm. and, and many others. Um, at the same time, you know, the Japanese market are so is so di- so difficult. Um, you know, like we tried back in the days in 2018 to do an event in, in uh, I think it was Kyoto where we wanted to do an event. We went there and, you know, like it seemed like we can do one, but then it became so difficult and so expensive. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also, you know, the way uh, the Japanese fighters are connected to their little tribes or, or you yeah. know, like their masters, their senseis or, or an organization, they're not allowed to do anything without the permission. And, you know, like I think, uh, not I think, but I know uh, we had Yomi Ahara, was a Kyokushin fighter, and he debuted mm-hmm. with us uh, back in in uh, July. That was the first Japanese fighter ever in the Karate combat pit, and not because we never wanted a Japanese fighter. Mm-hmm. It's because you know, like we had two or three guys signed, but whenever the time came, they couldn't show up because you know the the their sensei, their coach, their organization, federation just didn't let them do it. And, you know, many times I've got people sent my way, like, okay, yeah. here's a guy, he's really great from Japan, take a look, and, you know, potentially sign him. And all I do, I go to SherDog or Tapology or somewhere, and I see the guy only fought in Japan, I said, like, I cannot touch that person. Because, you know, what happens, we reach out, they say, yes, yes, I love karate con, but I want to I fight, here is the number of my manager. And then everything stops, and then it's just a waste of time, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it is. It is a little bit of an odd system with their gym setup. Of like you as the promoter actually need to get on with the gym better than you need to get on with any of the fighters. Right. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's just it just is doing business a little bit differently in Japan. And that's what yeah. most people say. Anything business wise in Japan, just gonna be a little bit different, right?
1: No, for sure. And 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 yeah, nothing. But it's it's just cultural difference. You know, like you go to Japan as a European, as an American, or from anywhere else in the world, even from Asia, right? Mm-hmm. You go to Japan from a different spot, it's just so different. And that's why they're unique. That's why, you know, like we like them or you don't like them, whatever. Uh, Whenever I was in Japan, you know, like I had an amazing time. I competed actually in the Nippon Budokan. My, I, I got silver medal at the World Championships there. Uh, but, you know, I was there for like two weeks and... It's just impossible, like almost so difficult to understand each other. The respect is there. You know, you always bow. You like each other. But as you said, you know, when you want to do business, when you want to do something or even get the word to their head, it's just you never know if it arrives or it arrives, but maybe in a completely different way. So it's, it's, it's interesting for sure. It's
0: yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. So take me back a little bit here. So your parents were, uh, they founded a stationary company. And at that point this had kind of, uh, this almost, this feels like a really a catalyst moment in your life where you picked up on, Oh, being an entrepreneur, that is my future. Take me, walk me through here kind of the history and how it led to where you are now.
1: Um, that's, that's a big pain point for my, my parents because as they, they were, they did work in the corporate world back in the days. Um, and then they f- uh, founded their their own company back in 1990. Mm-hmm. I think that's very, you know, like close to where when I started karate, I started at 89.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, and then they always felt that uh, either my sister or myself should take over the business. And, you know, I, I I never wanted to do that because, you know, like once I got the virus in, with no vaccine or whatever, and the, the virus was karate, then I knew that <laughs> probably this is, this is the, the thing I want to do. And I also want to prove to them, to myself that I cannot, not all, not only can do karate as a competitor, as an athlete, but I will also be able to make money and mm-hmm. also be able to make a difference. And, you know, like this is, this is what I want to do. This is, you know, I want to leave a mark, not just myself, but with the organization. And uh, at the same time, you know, they had their entrep- entrepreneurial, it's a difficult word, yes, um, it is. <laughs> mindset, which I always, you know, like I was observing, uh, not even from afar, but close by, although training and competing worldwide. And I saw how it is to start a business, to be a startup and then uh, open a store, open another one, you know, like try to grow and, you know, all the growing pains with having employees, maybe 20, maybe 40. And then, uh, you know, sometimes I had good inputs for them. I, st- I I didn't really work there, not on the day-to-day for sure, but mm-hmm. you know, I learned, I studied marketing and business studies. So like I tried to help. At the same time, I knew that I never want to sell pen or pencil. you know like it's, it's <laughs> it just like I you know i'm I'm not the the wolf of Wall Street and this is a pen, you know, just sell it. I knew that I, I was always wanted to be like a sportsman and be around the sport and specifically sports and entertainment. and you know that's that's why I think what we do is important is it's, it's sport. But it's also entertainment, and that's, that's why you have the UFC and, and professional boxing and all these big sponsors and big TV deals. This is something which always excited me.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And speaking of sport entertainment, karate combat seems to fill a, a gap because watching uh, – I mean, it's, it's, I love international karate, love you know, karate in the Olympics and stuff like that. But it does seem like it's almost missing the combat part of it uh like i mean stop me when i'm wrong i always want to be respectful because i know what kind of people are going to be tuning in and i don't want to offend you or anything like that but it seems like karate combat actually did fill in that gap that a lot of people did want when they were watching karate do you know what i'm saying here
1: yeah i mean like people were i mean like you're you're probably a weirdo like myself because people (laughs) don't watch karate that's the big problem i mean like you know most of the people until the olympics the tokyo olympics they didn't even know what karate was in in a way, like, is is it the forms or, you know, like, is it actually fighting? And I was like, you know, I love every aspect of karate, mm-hmm. but I said like somebody, somebody switches the TV on and they see a kata yes. and this is what karate will be in their head because then they're going to turn it off. Then it's a problem. Right. And I almost feel similar to the style the kumite in mm. the at the Olympics, which I did for years and years, but I also felt that we need a better recognition. And that is only enjoyable for people who are practicing it. You know, mm. so it's and when it's something is only enjoyable for people practicing, or not even for them, because the rules sometimes are so stupid, <laughs> then you've got a problem in terms of selling it or making it not mainstream, but making it bigger. And, you know, like also for us, if you talk to Bass or anybody else, you know, combat sports, it's supposed to be full contact in a way, because otherwise it's you, you have this fake idea or does it work or it doesn't. You know, I know many people who are, could be the best, best uh, karate players or karate fighters, but they could never really fight actually. You know, so like how how can you be a karate champion when you cannot actually fight? That's, you know, that's a hard sell. And, you know, this is something we wanted to change as well. If you're a karate combat champion, I'm telling you, man, then you can fight whoever and whenever. Maybe you don't you don't win if you're fighting with a bigger guy who's also experienced, but mm-hmm. you're going to have the balls to stand there and roll.
0: But and I, and I love karate, love all the traditions, love the stuff that you're talking about, but you are saying something that a lot of the early people in kyokushin karate were talking about, because Maso Yama taught it, and then yeah. a lot of his first students, like Joe, and I forget his name, all the guys who went to, into Dutch kickboxing essentially said what you just said, of like, okay. oh, they're, we're almost missing something in combat, so these guys kind of went back to the Netherlands, invented... Uh, dutch style kickboxing but it's kind of something that people have talked about for a while of like there's almost something missing here right
1: yeah and 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 i mean you have the same issue with kyokushin because like kyokushin people they claim that it is full contact but how can you claim it when you cannot punch to the head you know like it's it's something which is so essential to fighting it's like the number one thing like you go to a wrestling tournament right yeah people start a brawl they will try (laughs) to punch each other in the face although they've been practicing wrestling forever yeah. So so I mean that that is instinct, you know, that's what that's what happens. And that's why I feel for sure Kyokushin people are probably the toughest guys on earth when it comes to their body, when oh, it yeah. comes to their thigh. And you know, like also, you know, like the punishment they can take is unbelievable. At
0: yeah. the
1: same time, you never know if they got a chin or not, because they never been exposed to, you know, like punches to the to the head.
0: Yeah, I, I, I sparred with one of my Kyokushin Karate friends one day. And he okay. kicked me in the body. And I was like, bro, can you just kick me in the face? That hurts so much <laughs> yeah. more than I thought it did.
1: <laughs> yeah, because then at least you know you can get unconscious and you don't feel the pain.
0: It hurts so much, man. Yeah. Uh, but let's move forward here. Some of the influence of Karate. I mean, Karate certainly has attendance and it has, certainly has philosophies. Do you think any of those influences the way that you work as a leader of a company or as an entrepreneur?
1: For sure. I mean... I, you know, like uh, I wouldn't say that I live by a, by a set of rules or or by the book, but you know, like when I've been doing karate since I was nine, competing until I was thirty two. Since then, I'm close to karate and doing BJJ. So, like, you have the respect, you have the values. You, you know that you have to work really, really hard you know, to mm-hmm. get from one point to another, you know, first it took me 10 years to get the back belt in karate, not even 10, more than 10 years, because back in Hungary, you had to be minimum 18 years old, you know, like mm-hmm. to, to get a black belt. You couldn't get it before. It's not like here in the U S you know, like you've got like a, a fast uh, expedited, you know, one year program of getting a black belt. So that was like 10 years. And then, you know, another, 20 years passed. Now I'm black belt in BJJ. It took me 10 years as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that gives you something which I would say other sports can as well. You know, like the the hard work, the sweat, the blood, the injuries and everything. You know, you go through life with all these things. So I I believe that I have these principles and I'm trying to, you know, pass that to my kids. But when it comes to the league and organization, this is how I try to live my life. But I'm also surrounded with other people. There's is, there's is a lot of things moving on. You know. Also, we're in the entertainment business, when you know, like respect just doesn't sell. It's it's you know like uh, trash talk do sell, and so like we kind of need to balance the way where it's it doesn't become boring and you know nobody cares about it because then the league won't be able to survive. So. You know that, and and we've got I've got partners, and you know like we've got owners who think differently, not in a bad way. And then you know we try to balance each other. Maybe sometimes we do fight each other. Like I say, no, we cannot do this with the fighters. We do have to respect them. And then you know they convince me that at least let's talk to them to see you know if they're comfortable. And then I'm totally fine with that as well. Uh But I think as a karate league, as a, even as a striking league, mm-hmm. if it was K1. You need to have these kind of principles or bricks there uh, just, you know, to be able to look in the mirror every day.
0: Well, and I agree with you on that. I mean, the reason that I think martial arts teaches so much with respect and honor is because it's a very thin line versus just people beating the hell out of each other. If you don't have that kind of base of respect and honor, that's what separates it from a sport versus just a bunch of dudes beating each other up. And there's nothing wrong with a bunch of dudes beating each other up. I'm okay with that too. But if you want to promote it as a sport, I think you need that respect, right?
1: Yes. No, for sure. And again, but it's hard because, you know, like, for example, we would like to promote and market our fighters as much as possible. But, you know, like when, you know, like all of them are very respectful um, and when we see somebody come into the system who is not as much, you know, or like understands the game better then you know, we see on the numbers immediately, then people are more excited to see that fight than the other one. You know, like this is, we cannot do anything with, you know, you, you where you need the face and the heel, you know, like you need something for people to tune in and, you know, they want to hate one of the guys and they want to love the other one. So, you know, when both of them are just super likable That's again, it's a hard sell. They can still really fight well, but then we have to elevate the level of fighting into like like levels where people are saying like, okay, I don't care if they're respectful or not, but these are the best fighters in the world.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And it seems like early on you guys were struggling a little bit with, it was almost an uphill battle to get the combat sports media to really start looking at this, but something changed over the last year, year and a half now where karate combat is kind of an MMA media darling. What did you guys change? What did you guys do to, to make the media be on your side?
1: I mean, I still feel that, that uh, we've got a lot to work on. Um, But look, I mean, there were a few fights, which put us on the map for sure, you know, Agaev and Raymond Daniels, for example, and Raymond Daniels did fight in Bellator, did fight in MMA. Um, we've got GSP, Wonderboy, Lyoto Machida, all these legends, you know, mm-hmm. as part of our league, you know, they they are true believers, you know, they are league ambassadors and senseis and boss, you know, so like when when these guys are you know, in love with the product. And, you know, when you have Alex Pereira show up, not once, but twice on our events. And like the first time we invited him, uh, we didn't pay him. We said like, listen, um, you want to come? Like we were in Orlando, right? At Universal Studio. We Mm -hmm. said like, come with your kids. You're going to have a great time and you're going to see the pit and the fights. And he said like, okay, let's do it. And next time we were there in Miami, like a week before his fight and then you know like i talked to his manager because we had some other business going on and i said like uh he said like adam uh Pereira wants to come everybody want to come so like i mean that that shows you that uh we've got something going on and you know like people love it it's just a different experience especially when you're there live um and i think it, it comes through and it's, it's a hard, it's hard work because some people still like, oh, okay, it's karate. It's if it's not MMA, mm-hmm. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, whenever we had press and media around our fights, they, you know, like they, they just loved it. So I think that that's about it. But honestly, I would feel maybe a little bit better if some of them would shit on us <laughs> you know like then then it would actually start a conversation and you know again it's the same thing with the respect you know like it's it's you see dana white shitting on the media i want yeah. shitting on the media but it also helps both of them because clicks go through because this is what people want to read about you know like this is what they care about okay this yeah. is what this he said that said so i think we still got a lot of work to do mm-hmm. um but you know it's a, it's a process it's a step by step process
0: all right help me out i'll write it right here in front of you let me log into my wordpress uh okay. what do you want me to trash you guys about <laughs> i'll do it with you
1: right now. whatever you want man i don't know it's uh, hey i just spoke to the league president and he's an asshole <laughs>
0: All right, that is good stuff. And I I wanted to ask, I know that you guys internally have had these kind of conversations, but there is a little bit of prestige. There's almost a feather in the cap by being on traditional TV, even if it doesn't bring actual real benefits, but it certainly brings you know, a feather in the cap kind of thing. But you guys do all of your production through karate.com, which is just, it's so accessible to everyone. And I feel like in this age, that is the right way to go. But what if those conversations sounded like that you guys are sticking with digital media uh, and really a TV deal in traditional media, maybe not on the table for now?
1: No, I mean, I mean, we do have uh global distribution in over a hundred countries, but we, that's the difficult conversations we have with uh, with TVs and distribution partners that we never want to give them the right for our digital rights. And we always tell them that the only way they're going to get our IP or or our product, if we are able to stream it at the same time. And then, you know, it, then it's not so interesting for them. Right. Although, you know, like, they, you know, some of them still take it. You know, some of them are not doing it live, but doing it a little bit later. But we've we've got really good partners. We've got Eurosport in in Europe, which is like 40 plus countries, and then we've got uh, Combate Global yeah. in in Brazil, which is huge. CBS Sports we have in the U.S. It's not live, but it's it's live to not not live to tape, but it's uh, tape delayed, and then uh, you know many other countries we have. But again, this is also like an ongoing conversation internally, where it's like, okay, we want as many eyeballs as possible. How can we do that? If we put a paywall uh, in front of our product, then it's going to be hard, especially at this stage of our existence. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it's a psychological thing, which I always argue with my partners that, you know, people might feel that if we don't charge, then it's not valuable. Or like, you know, like sometimes people need to pay to feel that they, you know, like it it brings them value. And also in the fight game, people are just, you know, used to paying for pay-per-views or, you know, like ESPN Plus or, you know, you name it. Although people steal it and stream it. So like, you know, like (laughs) with, with ours... It's like we do encourage people not to steal it, but stream it, you know, like we we won't get into a fight with anybody if they take our feed, basically, and put it on their YouTube channel. And if they generate a million views, because this is a million views for us. So I think, you know, that's the mindset we take. And I think we're just ahead of our time because eventually people will transition to this one because people don't want to pay The Zone, ESPN, Fight and, you know, like all these other subscriptions because it's just like too expensive. And, you know, maybe once in a while you've got a fight there, which are exciting, Mm -hmm. which you would actually pay for. But then, you know, like the whole model is like, okay, pay every month. And then, you know, maybe once in a while you you got a fight. So, you know, right now, we're we're happy with being able to stream it live and free when it comes to all our live shows. We don't only stream it on karate.com but on our YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram, everywhere. We're gonna do the same with the the Kumite, which yeah. airs this uh, Thursday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh you know, time will tell. We we do things a little bit differently, you know, like uh we have a big crypto project going on around the whole league, you know, like we've got the karate tokens. Uh, we, it's a govern, government uh, token so people can actually have a say in what happens with the league, you know, like they can vote on the fighters and the fights when, when we go live. So I think there's a lot of elements into it which are still, for some people, are hard to process or, you know, it's just like step by step. But once the tipping point comes... Then you would feel that, okay, karate combat was here forever. And of course, this is like a big, big, big sport.
0: Well, yeah, I, 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 you really hit the nail on the head there with it's almost like we don't entirely know what TV and what the streaming world is going to look like even three years from now. Of like, you know, just not long ago, uh, being on a premium HD channel would have been the best thing. But then Tying your ship to that now, looking back, you're like, "Oh, that's such an antiquated thing." So, like, yeah. we just don't know of what the future of TV. And I know you guys have had that conversation, but like, if even if someone like a Netflix approaches you guys, it it still needs to be on your terms. Is that correct?
1: Uh, look, uh, let's see if that happens. Okay. You know, like for example, with with uh, we did the seasonal format uh, before before going to the live shows here in the US. Yeah, and uh, I I was on Twitter pitching Netflix to take it because it's perfect for them. Like we had twelve episodes in a season. You know, there was some storytelling. You know, the whole environments were crazy. You know, like there was a, there was, you know, we started. We went back in the days to Okinawa when karate started and, you know, then went to Hollywood, you know, like where with the movies, karate became even bigger. And then we ended up in the future when karate was the biggest sport in the world. So there were so many elements which probably could be good for Netflix and especially right now when everybody is like... uh, not willing to work because, you know, like all the, the, the script writers and the actors. So like, but here we are putting on shows and, you know, like, so maybe sport and you could see with, with golf, with formula one and, you know, all these other, like even, um, Jake Paul's got his own special now on, on Netflix. So I think there's a transition there and, you know, like if the time is right, if everything works out well, then I'm not saying that we would say no uh, to a deal with, with, uh, with such a big, you know, distribution partner.
0: Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. And tell me a little bit more about the Kumite coming up on August 10th here, which I couldn't believe that it's already this Thursday. Oh my God. Um, so with the growth of karate combat, why was this such an important addition to what you folks are already offering? It seems like like the, cause this is something it's outside the regular shows. It's something like maybe you don't get a huge investment back, but it seemed like an important thing that you guys really wanted to invest in. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, we had this idea, since 2018 to do something where we we try to find new fighters uh, because we've got a limited amount of spots for fighters on our live shows we only do usually like 10 fights uh, on a live show and we've got over 100 fighters exclusively under contract with us so Mm -hmm. there is you know like minimum two fights a year what we do need to give them so you know there are a lot of new guys who are willing to come into the league but we are unable to give them a spot and we wanted to figure out a way how we can take a look at them and see how they would perform in the pit and also give them the opportunity to perform in the pit before before they perform in the pit if you know what i mean mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it's you know like a live event scenario with you know like people pit side you know like cheering is completely different than you know what we produced with the kumite yeah. and also we wanted to do something where we can ex- ex- experiment with things. you know, like the, For example, we now on Thursday, we're going to introduce the amateur karate combat rule set, which is a huge deal. And I'll tell you why. Because now this new rule set will allow karate organizations worldwide to use this rule set in their existing tournaments to start a full contact discipline. So, for example, let's say you would have uh, an amateur karate tournament with kata, the form, then you Mm -hmm. would have kumite with the semi-contact or no-contact way of fighting, and the third one would be a full contact, but it's still kind of controlled, which would be a karate combat rule set. So, you know, then it doesn't need the pit. It could be on the same mats as, you know, the the tournament goes on. But, you know, like we've got... uh, We've got uh, the rule set with the six ounce gloves for the amateurs. We've got uh, the five second rule for the pro fights. Now this is only three. So after there's a takedown or a sweep, then there is a ground and pound for three seconds. And then uh, you cannot knee to the head. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: there are a few other uh, differences between the pro rule set and the amateur one. Also, it's only two minute rounds two times 2 minute round and if it's a split score or if it's a draw then it goes to the extra round so you know that's that's one thing which is not really it's not the kumite rule set it's the amateur karate combat rule set the kumite is our also a karate combat brand which the first one was almost like a talent show like america got idol or america mm-hmm. what's the the show a ninja talent. warrior? No, no, no. Right. It's just the, when... Uh, oh, the America's got talent. talent? America's yeah. got talent. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Bass, Samuel Erickson, and myself, we are the ones selecting after the fight who goes to the next round mm. until the actual final when we do have the judges deciding and scoring the fights. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is the Kumite is, is everything what we can imagine. So the first one is something mini tournaments with the amateur rule set with, you know, like the Cobra Kai style, um, geese. And maybe the second one will be blood sport. You know, the third one maybe will be country against country or gym against gym or something, whatever uh, we want to do. One thing I would say is that we try to do it in a way where it's very close to our live show, where the pit is already there, you know, like our crew and our staff is already there. So immediately, we can work even more the next day after a live show and produce more fights.
0: Oh, that's good stuff. It's good stuff. So it sounds like what you we were almost saying there is if setting up these amateur rules, if ISKA wanted to approach you guys, very specifically ISKA said, we yes. want to do an amateur belt with these rules. We'll call it karate combat amateur rules. That's something that you guys would be potentially on board with.
1: I think we would have to discuss about the belt. But if they want to, you know, like on their US Open, uh, if they want to do a karate combat tournament there amateur tournament, then they could definitely do that
0: that's kind of big news that's kind of a big one that's that's saying a lot right there
1: it's it's you know it's good for everybody it's it's good for for the fighters it could be potentially good for people organizing events because maybe they're going to, you know, have another hundred people register to the tournament because of that. And Mm -hmm. it's really good for us because like we can scout talent, you know, like we could see how these guys do within our rule set. And, you know, next time maybe they're already pro fighters in, in karate combat.
0: That's absolutely awesome. Okay, looking at social media numbers, there seems to be a lot of organizations that tout their numbers. Everyone from Power Slap, One Championship and Karate Combat have all said that they are the number one viewed thing on social media. What is the truth here? What is going on? Everyone's number one on social media. What is the truth?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm also, it's like everybody's the fastest growing sport, fastest growing combat sport. Um, So like it's, you cannot say you're the, I mean, like, look at our numbers. We have Uh, 1.4 million on Instagram we've got uh, man, like you we were behind on YouTube um, and then you know we just grew we almost doubled in like three months or so like we had 300k and now we've got over uh, half a million and uh, Facebook everywhere it's like after one show we've got Mm -hmm. over 4.5 4.5 million views altogether, you know. And of course, you know, that doesn't mean that everybody watches the fight from the first second until the last second. But for mm-hmm. sure, these people met Karate Combat during that time, you know, they maybe they saw a highlight on Instagram, maybe they saw something on TikTok. But, you know, like we always said, we're a digital first company. And, you know, like this also shows that, you know, our numbers are super high And also, I I don't think you can meet anybody uh, who has any interest in watching combat sports who scrolling through Instagram and they never met Karate Combat. So, you know, like the the, the question is, how do we transition the people who are only seeing highlights from us and they love our highlights? uh, And, you know, some fights they watch, how do we transition them to watch a full event? And because we are not... If you know we mentioned Bernacle before and some other organizations, they do pay, you know, like half a million for a fight for having Mike Perry fight Luke Rockhold. You know then then, then some of these guys who are the headliners there who bring in a lot of attention are almost never the ones from the organization, right? It's right. never it's it's always somebody who was ex UFC. Basically, yeah. That that's about it. Or had a huge built-in audience like Jake Paul even before stepping into the ring. But if you look at karate combat, most of the things we do, and I'm not saying we would never do X, Y, Z. I would love to do Machida, Luke Rockhold, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to bring Jose Aldo into the pit. You know, like he's still young and you know, like he's a great striker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, like when you look at Raymond Daniels fighting Rafa Lagayev. Rafael Agaev, who never fought full contact before karate combat. And, you know, those are the ones producing numbers and and doing great. And, like, so we almost built from scratch not only the league, but also our, our roster and, you know, the fighters. So I think that's a different approach. It's a slower one. It's more difficult than just putting in a name and also, you know, paying, uh, I don't know, these guys hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm not saying... We're never gonna do it, but right mm-hmm. now I think the the base and building the base is there, and you know this is the approach we are taking.
0: Not taking those short term kind of like uh, quick flash in the pan. You guys are really looking at long term growth from the sounds of everything, right?
1: Yeah, but I get it. You know, I get it when when you know like their biggest fight you know, like the main event and the co-main event is for ex-UFC fighters, I get it. You know, they, they, they get the views. Maybe they get even the ticket sales. So like as a business, I do understand. Although, you know, like if you think about it, it's just, you know, so it's, it's. I think it's something which is not sustainable because you cannot put all these guys in every other, you know, event. And it's also a little bit disrespectful to all these other guys you have, right? So, for example, with the PFL, you have all these guys who got paid a million bucks for winning the tournament. But then if, if somebody ex-UFC comes in or Jake Paul gonna fight, then all these guys are like, you don't even know their names. So, again, I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I'm just saying that, that we try to balance when we bring in people, we bring in Raymond Daniels and Gabriel Varga, who were like glory and bellator champions in kickboxing, but they also don't really found a home in MMA. They they had no other chance. So like we we are here now, really competing as a striking league and putting in names and really good fights there. So I think I think we've got a really good position there on the market.
0: Absolutely, and I I have taken a lot of your time here, and I'm not going to stop. We're going to keep going. So let's talk a little about the karate coin a little bit here. Launching it, I can't imagine that was a a that has to be nerve wracking because like for guys like you and I, you know, we see fight sport, we see CEOs, we get it. It's tough. And but I, we get what the business is karate coin for you. And I like that had to be nerve wracking launching something where like, you know, this is tough. This is tough to, to, to really wrap our heads around here.
1: Yeah. It's hard. I mean, it's uh that is something I wouldn't say like, uh, I'm not involved. I am involved, but that, mm-hmm. that is not my part of the business. Uh, We've got the only LARPing, that's his his nickname, uh, who is the brain behind uh, the crypto stuff we do. He's been in the space for over 10 years. But uh, if you look at KarateCon, but even our very first pilot event, we had the Bitcoin logo in the center. So like that was never something we were like super far from. Uh, But, you know, he and I, we had a conversation on the phone, I think one and a half years ago. And we said like, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, like, the fans actually could have a say in whatever happens with the league. And, you know, I brought up the example if, let's say, the football team Manchester United, uh, what happens there? What do the fans get? They get the experience, but they pay for everything, right? They pay for tickets. They pay for merchandising. All they get is the experience, which is fine. You know, like people love it. Uh, At the same time, People love to have input on what happens, who to sign next, you know, like what fights to make. And, you know, like we were on the phone and and he said, like, yeah, I think we could do this with crypto. And, you know, his, his idea was always how we could mix the fight sport and the sport with crypto because he believes that this is a great synergy between the two. Mm-hmm. And he said he, we could do it. And I told him, listen, man, like we have to do it right now because someone else will do it. Yeah, And then he jumped on and still, you know, like every day, like he's 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 killing it. And uh, it's it's not easy at all. And, you know, one thing people don't realize, you know, the PFLs got their tokens, you know, like and then all these socios and other tokens out there. But those are not, you know, like maybe you can buy merch or maybe you get a discount somewhere. Or maybe you can go to this exchange and, you know, like change it. Ours are completely different, right? This is a governing tool where you go, you download the Karate Combat app, where then you get generated a wallet where you receive some of these karate tokens, or you can buy it on an exchange, and then you're able to vote on the fights. And the big thing is it's called up Only Gaming. We came up with the name. You cannot lose, right? Because otherwise it would be gambling. This is not gambling. You're just voting, and you can only receive more tokens than what you are voting on. So that's one thing. So it's fun, right? People like to get involved and you know, maybe there are some fighters you never knew who they were, but now you're much more invested on understanding who they are because you might be able to win some more karate tokens. So that's that's almost like a customer acquisition tool for us, but also getting engagement for fighters people didn't know before. Now they will want to learn more, research more and get involved on you know like event per event basis on being involved with the league that's one thing the other thing is what you can do with the tokens is is uh vote on for example who luis hosha the lightweight champion should fight next and how we're doing it is not like okay now everybody's going to decide how things will go no in the background we're working on like who are the top two guys who should be fighting Luis Hosha because this is 2-0. This is 3-0. You know, like they never fought before. So like we're going to suggest, okay, here's the two options. Maybe Bruno Assis, maybe Gabriel Varga, who should be the next in line for Luis Hosha. But now the matchmaking is on the voters on the Karate token holders. So now they go on and they say like, okay, Gabriel Varga should get a shot or Edgar Scrivers. And then... We see the results, and then we have to go back as matchmakers and the league, and talk to these fighters. And the and if they accept, then that's the fight to make. If they cannot because injured or whatever else is happening in their lives, then we go to the number two who get the second more most votes. So that that's another thing. Um, lastly, mm-hmm. what we just did recently, uh, we tested a rule change, which was if the fight goes to a split score after three rounds or five rounds in a championship uh, fight, then we go to an extra round, the sudden death round. And before, it was based on what the judges wanted. If out of three judges, two wanted to see an extra round, then we did go to an extra round. But now we put this into the rule set and the fans voted so that whenever it's a split score... Not a split decision. It's at the end of the fight. It's a split score. Then immediately and automatically we go to an extra round. And this was something the community, the karate token holders decided to go. And then we we did uh, ha- we did have a vote. I think, you know, 93% voted yes yeah. to, to this. And then, you know, now we have it in rule set.
0: Man, it's so cool. I love a, a, a sudden death round kind of thing. Like that's, that's, that's the best cool. thing. Yeah, I love that. Uh, let me also ask you, you are... Uh, yeah, I might be wrong here. You're a watch collector.
1: Um, I like that you do research. I'm I'm like a fake watch collector, to be <laughs> honest. Um, I love watches. You know, I've got a few nice ones. Uh, I've got a collection of let's say four or five watches, which are 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 nice. Uh, right. but you four know, or five. I,
0: What's your most expensive one? Where are we looking
1: here? I've got I've got a Pepsi, uh, a GMT Master Two Rolex. Um, which is the, they call it the Pepsi because it has the, the 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 red and blue bezel, so that's why it's called the Pepsi. And uh, it's it's you know the retail. The the good thing is that I have a, in back in Budapest, I have a very good friend at the authorized dealer, so I I could actually buy it on retail because that's where the real not the value, but the thing is that with these watches. What they do, you go into the store and they tell you that you have to wait. You get to, you have to get into the line. So, Mm -hmm. like, I want this watch. They said, like, okay, another thousand people want this watch, but we're going to write your name here and going to call you. And this call never comes, right? So, um, but retail is like 50% less than you can buy it in the gray market. So that's, oh. that's why it's interesting because normally what you do with a car, you go in to buy it in brand new in a store. And then, to, you know, two minutes later, a car is worth 10% less. Yes. You cannot resell <laughs> with, with these watches, um, with scarcity, you know, what, what happens? You cannot get it in the store. If you can, if you wanted to sell them in a gray market, then maybe you can double your money. And that's the same with the, the one I mentioned you know, I bought it on retail. But if I wanted back in the days when I bought it, like two years ago, I could mm. maybe sell it for, you know, two and a, two and a half x. So like that was yeah. But but I don't sell them. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm keeping them. I'm using them, and uh, you know, hopefully, I'm just gonna get the, the bigger collection.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's more of an investment than something that you actually wear, yes. which is not dissimilar to your sneaker collection.
1: Um. Yeah, again, it's, I'm, 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 I'm not a real guy in terms of like the watch collection or, or even the sneakers. I do love sneakers. I have a few. I, I never pay more than retail. So like I don't go and chase these uh, rare ones. Uh, but, you know, whenever a nice one comes up, um, you know, I'll, I'll have a few over here. Then I'll try yeah. to get on the sneaker app and then, you know, just uh, get it. I'll show you. I'll show
0: you. Yeah, yeah, show me these. I just got
1: this last week. Um Oh yeah, 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 yeah!
0: Beautiful, good stuff. Pretty oh, nice. oh, very nice, man.
1: But I like I like these questions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, actually.
0: Man, I know I, I know we're out of time here, so I'm gonna ask you one more, and then I'll let you talk talk me out of here. But if I'm visiting Budapest, I'm only up in Scotland, so I'll go over to Hungary at some point in the next couple years. Here, what restaurants or, or cafes do I need to hit up?
1: Um. So if you go to Budapest, um, right now is the best time. Summertime is beautiful over there. I just got back uh, to the U.S. uh, a week ago. I was there during the whole summer. Um, So there's a place called Café Kur. Kur is circle circle in in Hungarian. And actually, it's it's one of my friend's spots. And he's been running it for over 20 years. And if you want... Not super expensive, but like local food. And that's the best spot. It's right next to the Basilica. Super mm. location. Uh, and then you've got, you know, like many, many good spots. One which my friends like. And, you know, we've been producing Karate Combat there for almost two years during COVID. Uh, there's a spot called Bestia. Bestia. Uh, yeah, it's like the beast, the lady beast. Um then uh, they've got really nice steak over there. They, they, love, they love to go there. Uh, but there, there are many, many good spots. But the really good stuff is not necessarily Budapest, but going down to Lake Balaton, which is our little sea. The Hungarian Sea mm. is a small lake, but you know, Hungary <laughs> is also a small country. So we're very proud of the lake and uh, there's a lot of nice wineries there. So, you know, like whoever loves wine, uh, they, they must go there because they're going to, in, in a good sound.
0: And next time I'm around, you're, you're going to treat me to some of this stuff?
1: Yes, I will.
0: <laughs> all right, one minute left. Talk us on out of here, sir. Shout out who you need to shout out. Thank who you need to thank. Uh, talk us. I, I think you guys got a show August 10th coming up this Thursday and in September, but it's not quite officially announced. So please go ahead, sir.
1: Yes. So, yeah, first of all, I want to thank you for for this great interview uh, for for our team at Karate Combat. You know, like we've been working super hard. Uh, the Kumita comes out uh, on Thursday at 7 p.m. East. And then we're going to stream it every Thursday in August. And then, uh, you know, that's going to be awesome. It's something special we've, we've never done before. Really good fighters, really good fights, some knockouts. And you, you have Bas, Samuel Erickson there and myself. You know, you can never go wrong with that trio. And then in September, September 15, most likely we're back with our live shows and we're going to the Dominican Republic.
0: Dominican Republic. Oh, it's going to be a good one, man. Anyone who gets to go is lucky. That's going to be a banger.
1: It's going to be a good one. Hey, thanks so much for your time, sir. Thank you very much.